Turn in your Bible to Isaiah, the 40th chapter. Isaiah chapter 40. I think most of you are aware that the book of Isaiah is a miniature Bible. There are 66 books in the Bible. There are 66 chapters in Isaiah. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah relate to the Old Testament scriptures and prophecy. There are 27 books in the New Testament. And the last 27 chapters of Isaiah from chapter 40 through 66 deal with New Testament truths and scenes and the life of Christ. I like the book of Isaiah. Every time I read a book or a chapter, I think it's my favorite. And I know that I think this about Isaiah 40. May we bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the wonderful book, The Treasure of God. We hold this treasure in earthen vessels, the treasure of Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so much in this book of Isaiah reminds us of our Lord. And we pray that tonight this message will be a strength and a help and an encouragement. And anyone in this place who has not been saved, may the Spirit of God deal with that one and draw him to Christ. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The people of God were discouraged. They had had a lot of defeats. They were now in a foreign land in captivity. Somebody said, sing a song of Zion, and they said, how can we sing a song of Zion in a foreign land? They hung their harps on willow trees and wept. And God said, Isaiah, I want you to go down and bring my message to the people. And here's what you're to say. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received at the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And the voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, and the flower fadeth. But the word of our God shall stand forever. And beginning in verse 28, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You connect that with that wonderful passage in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. He shall set me upon a rock. And the last two verses, again, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. And this passage, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. The text tonight forms the basis for the subject and the title of the message. But they that wait upon the Lord in crisis, in combat, and in comfort. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. What does it mean to wait upon the Lord? The word wait is a common word, and we understand it in two ways. First of all, you go to a restaurant, and somebody comes and waits on you. They serve you. They bring you your food. They bring you tea or Coke or coffee or whatever you're ordering. And they uh, come back to your table from time to time and say, can I wait on you? What do you need? And they serve you. So the word wait means to serve. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. That means they who serve the Lord. They who keep at it. They who just keep on going day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Somebody says, well, I get weary in waiting on the Lord. I learned a little song when I was a junior boy. The teacher of our junior group in Trinity Union was the pastor's wife, Mrs. Finley Gibson. And she used to wear a watch that would hang around her neck, and she'd lean over, and that watch would hang out, and always uh, was an amazing thing to me. And you know, it was a little round, clear watch. And she would lift that watch and say, I've waited on the Lord for a long, long time, but I ain't got weary yet. She was 68 years old when she taught us that song. It went like this, don't, don't, don't you be weary, don't, don't, don't you be weary, don't, don't, don't you be weary working for the Lord. No, I ain't got weary yet, no, I ain't, no, I ain't got weary yet, no, I ain't. I've worked for the Lord for a long, long time, but I ain't got weary yet. And from that little song, I learned how important it was to just keep on waiting on the Lord, serving the Lord. And they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint because there are divine resources available. And if you look in that passage in Isaiah, look at the very next page in Isaiah chapter 41. You'll notice verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen ye, thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And look in chapter 43. Thus saith the Lord, 
who created thee, O Jacob, and he who formed thee, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. And so that's another way of saying God is going to take care of you. Be not dismayed, whatever betide. God will take care of you. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. But I had fainted unless I had lived to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait, wait on the Lord. Just keep on serving Him. Keep on going. Now there's another definition of that word wait. That word wait could also mean wait like you wait with patience. You go to a doctor's office and the doctor says that you have an appointment at 10 o'clock and at 1230 you're still waiting. And with patience you wait because you must see that doctor. We cast our burden upon the Lord and we still feel the heavy burden of it. You ever done that? You still feel choked. <laughs> you still feel like, well, if God's going to take my burden, when is he going to do it? I've already cast it upon him and here I am weighted down with it still. They that wait upon the Lord. God has several kinds of answers. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. And sometimes he says wait. Just wait. Be patient. Sometimes our prayers are not answered on Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. And we wait and we wait and we wait. And we wonder, did the Lord hear me? Lord, I've got this awful decision. I've got this awful burden. I, I have this problem. Lord, are you listening? Have you heard me? Where is God? Is the sky so black that I can't even get through with my prayers? But there comes back echoing from heaven, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I want to suggest to you both meanings of the word wait in three various areas that come to us as believers. Times of crisis, times of combat, and times when we need comfort. First of all, in the times of crisis, we live in a crisis-filled world. It doesn't take any learned theologian or some newspaper correspondent to con con convince us that we live in a crisis world. Matter of fact, there are so many crises that they're no longer even crises to us. We pick up the paper and we see a rebellion over in South Africa or something in Zambodia or somewhere in some far distant part of the world. We see a problem here, a problem there, and, and there are just problems everywhere, all over the world. And finally, we get to a position where we say, well, I guess those newspaper people have to sell newspapers, and that's the reason they put all these crises in the papers. And perhaps some of that's true, especially in the month of August. They can't think of very much 
news so they find all the crises they can find and blow it way out of proportion. But there are times of crises. There are times of personal crises. There are times of world crises. We live in a crisis world. Lee Fisher, who stood in our pulpit one time years ago, led us in singing. Lee Fisher wrote a beautiful hymn. He called it the Christ of every crisis. He's the Christ of every crisis. And that's true. Jesus Christ is the Christ of every crisis. And when the crisis times come in our lives, Jesus is there to comfort and cheer. What kind of crisis comes? Well, there are, there's world, there are world conflicts. I think of that, of those 520 people, 524 people in the Japanese airplane the other day. And for 30 minutes, 30 minutes, that's a long time. That's about as long as I'm going to preach tonight. 30 minutes. They flopped around in the air, and the plane yawed. It was out of control. Long enough for men to write diaries, wills, write letters to their loved ones, knowing that in just a few moments they would be dead. Crisis time. One man, I don't know whether he was a Christian or not, but he said he called on the name of the Lord, if you notice that in the paper. I was impressed. When the crisis times come, and there seems to be no way out, what do we do? We can wring our hands. We can shake our fist at God. We can walk the floor. Or we can just throw in the towel. Or we can wait on the Lord. Wait to see what He's going to do. It may be that the crisis will not turn out like we want it to turn out. Not every crisis does. There are men in this room tonight who were in foxholes and prayed to get home, and you got home, but there were other men that were like your buddies, and they prayed too, and they didn't get home. And there come times of crises in our lives. What do we do with them? In Job 13, 15, there's a remarkable statement. Job met a lot of crises in his life. He didn't understand what was happening to him. The devil was given permission to touch everything about Job. His children were taken away. His land was confiscated. His body was touched. He had boils from the tip of his head, from the crown of his head to the tip of his toes. And he sat in the ashes. And his wife said, you old fool, won't you commit suicide? Curse God and die. And Job said in Job 13, 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. We're living in a time of world communism. We don't hear very much, as much about this as we used to a number of years ago. We've sort of settled down. We have sort of a type of coexistence, that is, those in the West do. In the East, there's no coexistence. They talk about detente, but they don't really want it. They don't even mean it. Lenin, many years ago, said, we're going to conquer the world. And he said, 
We're going to surround the United States, that last bastion of capitalism, and it will fall without our firing a shot from internal decay. There are some who would have us believe that communists have changed their plan, their strategy. They've changed their ideals, that somehow they don't mean that anymore. But I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, they mean it just as much tonight as they did 50 years ago. They mean it. And if we don't see it, it isn't their fault. They've already told us. And we're seeing it happen. And we're having communist uprisings all around the world, and we don't even know it. Some of you are not old enough to remember when we let Cuba fall. We actually helped Castro come down out of the mountains, and we sent him money, and we encouraged him, and the media in America talked about how awful Bautista was and how wonderful Castro was, and soon all the Cubans would be liberated and, and Castro would be a chief, and that very thing happened, and when he won, we brought him to America and he addressed the Joint House of Congress. A few days later, he announced he was a communist. And he broke relations with America, established relations with the communist nations. America helped that happen. And I want to say to you, if we do not wake up in Central America, the same thing will happen there and will happen in Mexico and right to the border of Texas. And there are some peace at any price who will say, well, let them do it. It's better be red than dead. I don't believe that. We live in a world crisis of world communism. And I certainly don't know very much about South Africa. And I do not pose to be any kind of a know-it-all about that. And I'm sorry for some unfortunate statements that have been made in the press by men of God. But I want to tell you, it wouldn't surprise me a bit if we find out some years from now that all of that movement there is communist inspired and if we're not very 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 careful we're going to put sanctions on that nation one of the few nations in Africa at all that is friendly to America we're going to put sanctions there that will make it easy for the communists to take over South Africa and friend while we sleep that's going on all around and even in our own homeland I read a report some time ago that told about communists in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Well, I'm not going to be a communist hunter and hunt everywhere for communists. I want to tell you that communism is from Satan. Its ideology is satanic. It is atheistic. At its core is godlessness. And I don't know how Christians can coexist with Satan. And so there must be a warfare and a combat between anybody who would live godly in this present world and an ideology that hates God. But I want to tell you, in the face of all these crises, what are we to do? Go out of our mind? Go way out in left field or right field? No, we're to trust in the Lord. Wait on the Lord. They who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We need to wait on the Lord by serving Him, redoubling our efforts in the face of world communism to say, I want to get the gospel out to the ultimate end, ends of the earth, everywhere we can still get to while the doors are open. There's a revival going on in Korea. 
I would to God that this church could make a special investment in Korea and help in that revival area there. There's revival over in the Orient. Oh, that God would help us to have the vision to pool our resources and sacrificially give that the gospel might go into those doors. Interestingly enough, there's even a revival going on in Africa where they're face-to-face with atheism and agnosticism and witchcraft and, and sorcery and all of those things. There's also a revival going on and thousands of people are being saved in Africa. In the face of world crises, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. God will give unusual courage and grace and strength and faith. The Lord will do that. It's His business. World confusion is all around us. What is right? What is wrong? What is gray? Somehow we do not have any idea. We do not have the concepts of right and wrong like we once had. We have a moral crisis going on. And young people are actually, you might say, brought up to question the old moral positions of the Scripture. And they're somehow called the old foggy ideas and the old mores. The Bible is full of thou shalt not. But we have a confusion today as to whether the thou shalt nots are real or whether they're relative. And so we have a case for situational ethics in which it might be right sometimes to do a certain thing when not other times. A godly Christian girl goes with an unsaved boy but I love him and the scripture says be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers a boy and girl began to live together because it's a prevalent thing in our society the apartment owners don't even ask about it anymore whether this is Mr. and Mrs. or Miss Smith and Mr. Jones. So they just live together. And they go to church and seldom hear anything like this. But God says, thou shalt not. And there's world confusion. And what are we going to do about it? Well, the Bible says, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Serve Him. Find out from the Bible, from the Word of God, what God says about these crises, times in your lives. And we have the answer. Christ is the answer for every crisis. He's the answer. We have the crisis of world concern. You know, a lot of the music stars are making special albums and selling them to, uh, and they're having special music things, and uh, they're raising money to send food to Africa. My heart goes out to the Africans, and we ought to send food. We ought to send it. The Sunday school class that I'm a member of takes an offering almost every Sunday for world hunger. We send it through our foreign mission board. I wish all of our churches, schools, would, uh, classes would do that. Take an offering for world hunger. There are people that are hungry. And we need to be concerned about it. But I want to ask you, which is worse?
the physical hunger that gnaws a person's stomach or the spiritual hunger that they're unaware of but will gnaw at them eternally forever and forever and forever. Jesus came to meet the spiritual needs of people everywhere. And the only way these needs can be met is for those who have heard the gospel, the glorious word of God, to take the Bible, the message of the word of God, and take it to people that are in need. The world has moved to Bowling Green. Now, I think we still need to go to Korea. We still need to go to Japan. We still need to go to Africa. We still need to go to South, South America. We still need to go, if we can, to Southeast Asia. We still need to go to the continents and isles of the sea. But I want to submit to you that the world has moved to the city of Bowling Green. And we have people from all over the world right here from France, from England, from Europe, all parts of Europe. We have people from Israel. We have people from South America. We have people from Southeast Asia. We have people from Japan, from Korea. They're all here, many of them. What are we going to do? In this world crisis, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Let's get the gospel to them. God will bless. Now, I want to move to the next point. Not that I'm through in that area, but they that wait upon the Lord in a time of combat. <laughs> We're in a war. This isn't some little skirmish. We're in a battle. This is a big war going on. A war between the world and the flesh and the devil. Over in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, listen to what God says. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girded about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, with which ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. We're at war. And if you don't believe it, that war passage right there gives you the warlike armor that you to put on. All of, all of the credentials, all of the armor that we're to put on, listed there. We're at war with a world that hates God. There are a lot of pitfalls we face. Financial problems, lack of expectancy, no vision, loose contact with the Holy Spirit, not depending on the Spirit, self-sufficiency, prayerlessness, fear of man, hostility, straying away from the plan of God for our lives, playing God, and we're at war. And in a war, there has to be emergency action taken. The scripture says, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. I think of David who came out against Goliath and he prayed. Goliath made a long speech about how he, David, that little good-for-nothing little boy, was going to come up there and, and embarrass all of Israel. And all David said is, 
let it be known that there's a God in Israel. And he got his little slingshot out and bang, down went the old Goliath. It was a war, but he was waiting on the Lord, serving the Lord. Over and over again in the Old Testament, we find going out against the wo- a, a war against the devil, the forces of evil, the forces of enmity. And we live in a strange time. Listen to this. Somebody asked, has Christianity lost its thrust? There are 123 million churchgoers in the United States, more than ever before. Out of the 215 million people, 123 million churchgoers. Now that doesn't mean they go every Sunday, but they go to church some. That's an increase of 2% in one year. But crime increased 7% the same year. Illegitimacy has increased 100%. Pornography has become a $200 billion a year business, multiplied four times in two years. Venereal disease has increased 400% in 10 years, 72% in one year. Our crime bill is $20 billion a year, and crime is increasing five times faster than our population. Juvenile crime is increasing seven times faster. For every dollar we spend on churches, we spend $12,000 on crime. Our nation has 5 million alcoholics, 3.5 million problem drinkers. Combine all our churches and synagogues and temples, they're outnumbered by our taverns by 175,000. I gave you a wrong statistic about alcoholics. There are 10 million alcoholics. I read these numbers wrong. Ours is the most civilized, most Christianized nation on earth, yet 37 million of our own children receive absolutely no religious instruction. 37 million. We're, we're, we're in a combat with the world and the flesh and the devil and indifference. But they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. What are we to do about all that? Are we to just get all excited and march and have demonstrations and go around calling uh, for certain things to happen? I think it's important to write our congressman. I do that somewhat regularly. I think it's important to let people know where we stand on issues that are very important. I think the Bible teaches us to do that. But I want to tell you, the thing that really will count is those who know the Lord to just wait on Him. Serving, honoring. Let the real Christians stand up. Be what God wants you to be. We live in a society that says it's okay to do whatever you want to do. And you can get by with it. And most people never know it. But God knows it. And if we who know the Lord will look into the Bible and find what God wants us to do. And in the face of all the crises times, in the face of the combat times, we will wait on the Lord. We'll say, Lord, it's for me and my house. I'm going to serve the Lord. The whole world can do that. The whole world can have their little toddies. The whole world can have their promiscuous living. They can have girls spend the night in boys' rooms and boys spend the night in girls' rooms over at Western. All they want to. But as for me, I know the Lord. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be what God wants me to be. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God will give you the courage and the strength. And I suppose one of the greatest battles that comes to a Christian is discouragement. 
Somebody has said, quoting Martin Luther, discouragement is the handle the devil uses to fit all of the Lord's vessels. It is true that some of the mightiest of God's servants were attacked by the weapon of discouragement. Moses prayed to die in Numbers chapter 11. Elijah prayed to die in 1 Kings 19.4. Jonah prayed to die in Jonah 4.3. Job cursed the day he was born, Job 3.1-3. David cried out, no man cares for my soul, Psalm 142. So it was with most of the servants of the Lord. Bus workers, Sunday school teachers, soul winners, parents, preachers. Even though this devilish tool is commonly used and most of us are affected by it, we must see it for what it really is and gain the victory over it through Christ. For three reasons. Number one, God cannot use a discouraged person and we want to be used. Number two, discouragement is a tool of the devil, not from God. Number three, discouragement dishonors the Lord. What are the basic causes for discouragement? Discouragement most always comes from a loss of perspective. We need to remember that one day of failure is not a lifetime of failure. Maybe we fail today, but tomorrow there'll be success. Rise up and confess the failure to God and by His help start over. They that wait on the Lord. Discouragement number two comes from physical exhaustion. Sometimes a day's rest will help. Sometimes the most godly thing a person can do, the most spiritual thing a person can do is take a nap. <laughs> Get some sleep. Rest up a little bit. The devil works on you when you're exhausted, when you're tired. And sometimes he just moves in with all of his power and gets you to do things you would never do if you'd gotten enough sleep. Number three, the most common cause of discouragement is our lack of fellowship with the Lord. As we get into his word and pray, we're made to realize that Emmanuel, God with us, is our Savior. He's promised, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Was it this morning, early, or yesterday morning we had the big thunderstorm? I forget, the days passed so fastly. It was yesterday, wasn't it? I woke up about five or six o'clock, whatever time it was, four o'clock maybe. I'd just gone to bed at three. And I woke up, and I lay there listening to that, and I thought, I've seen the lightning flashing. I've heard the thunder roll. I've felt sin's breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. But I heard the voice of Jesus telling me still to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. And that storm outside reminded me of the storm that comes in the, in the, in the nights, in, in the nights of our lives, the Vesuvius times in our lives, the hurt times, the storm times, and they're coming to everyone. If they haven't come to you, they're on their way. There'll be times of tears. There'll be times of despair. There'll be times of discouragement when we need the comfort that only the Holy Spirit can cut, can give. And in the night, when our props have been removed, when those that we've leaned on are not there. Psalm 27 says, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. When those that have been part of our security shelter all through the years of our adult life or our childhood life, and suddenly, just suddenly, they're removed, what do we do? They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. 
they shall walk and not faint. I felt impressed to bring this message tonight, to just simply say, if we'll stand by the post, if we'll stand, having done all, we'll just stand there. And when the devil throws everything he can at us, all the world crises and all the troubles of the soul and all the heartaches and all the hurts and all the temptations, and we just stand there and claim our ground on Isaiah 40, 31, pretty soon we're going to hear the voice, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, her iniquity is pardoned. She hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sin. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. God says that. That doesn't come from this preacher. It comes from God. What kind of trial are you going through? What kind of loneliness are you going through? What kind of night are you going through? What kind of depression have you had, had to put up with? Be not dismayed, whate'er betide. God will take care of you. He'll be with you. And he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you in the morning when it seems like there's no use in getting up. I'll be with you in the noontime when you miss those who have been so dear to you. I'll be with you when the night shadows fall and you dread the long nights. I'll be with you and I'll never leave you. And they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And you're going to find a new zeal for God. Came a time in Elijah's life when he wanted to die. He got defeated and discouraged. Right after Mount Carmel, a woman said, I'm going to kill you. Tomorrow you will be like, like these, these prophets that, you, that have been killed. And Elijah ran for his life and he got down under a tree. And uh, he went to sleep. And then he heard a voice saying, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he said, well, Lord, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. Nobody else cares anything about you. I'm just all the one that's left, and I want to die. Let me die. You imagine mighty Elijah, who stood one day before Ahab and said, the dogs are going to eat you, and the dogs are going to eat, eat Jezebel. Had the guts and the courage to stand in the face of that king and say that. One day, the king said to Elijah, after he'd been absent for three years, have you found me, O mine enemy? And Elijah had the guts and the courage and the fortitude and the backbone to stand and say, I am not your enemy, but you're the enemy of God. Write to the king. This is the same Elijah that now says, God, I want to die. I want to die. I'm defeated. You know what, you know what God did? One of the most beautiful stories in the whole Bible. He said, Elijah, take a nap. <laughs> Go back to sleep. And he woke up after a while and God fed him some food, delicious food. It was something God prepared for him and then God said Elijah take another nap get some sleep listen we don't serve a hard taskmaster our God's not some mean tyrant that, that loves to pounce on us and make us do the impossible things he said get some sleep get, get a nap after a while Elijah woke up and he was refreshed and, and uh, he thought well I guess God's going to speak to me now and there was a great storm and, and he thought, well, maybe the Lord will speak to me in the storm. 
but the storm passed by. And there was a fire. And he thought, well, maybe the Lord will speak to me through the fire, some through some big thing. And the fire all passed by. And Elijah was just sitting there, waiting. Refreshed from his nap and his food and just sitting there waiting. And deep inside, in the still small voice, there came a little voice, Elijah, Elijah, I got something else for you to do. Let's get back at the battle. Go, not in your strength, but in mine. And Elijah went back into the battle with a new assignment. And I think he did one of the greatest works of his whole life when he anointed a king and he anointed a prophet and he gave some prophecies. God has something for you to do. Maybe more than you've ever done, but in a different way. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father, sometimes we need the encouragement that only can come from the Bible, the wonderful Word of God. We pray tonight that those for whom this message was inspired have heard it and will receive it and will go from this place waiting on the Lord, both in service and in patience. And if there's one person here tonight who is not saved, who doesn't have the Lord to lean on, to wait on, we pray that that one will open his heart to Christ tonight and will be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. May we stand, please. As we sing, and what's the number, Brother Jim? 252, page 252, come, trust the Lord, come and trust Him. As we sing in a moment, I wonder if there's somebody here tonight who has just been almost at the end, you felt like quitting, you felt like just saying, Lord, I'm going to throw in the towel. I didn't know it was going to be like this. And you'd just say, Lord, I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm just going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to wait. I'll let you encourage me. I'm going to let your strength be my strength. Why don't you whisper that to him? You may need to come forward. You may not. Do what God tells you to do. There may be somebody here tonight to whom the Holy Spirit has spoken in a special way, and you need to come and say, I have not been waiting on the Lord like ought to. I've been taking matters in my own hands. Or somehow, I just haven't been as warm to Him as ought to have been. I need to get closer, love the Lord, serve Him, and honor Him. Maybe you ought to come, recommit that life to Christ. Maybe someone here tonight who thought you were saved, and really you're not saved at all. If you died tonight, you wouldn't go to heaven. Maybe a church member, but you're not saved. If you're not positive that you're leaning on Christ, that you're trusting Him, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. The Lord Jesus shed His blood on the cross. They pierced Him. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we're healed. Would you come and confess Jesus as your Savior and your Lord? 
Do what God tells you to do. Somebody here ought to move your membership to this church and start working actively for God here. While we begin to sing, is there someone that ought to come? Will you come tonight?